This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. We're going to be speaking with Anne-Marie Slaughter, who is the author of the new book, Unfinished Business. And it deals with uh, uh, the issues of women having successful careers as well as being able to have a family. It's something that uh, Anne-Marie Slaughter has written quite a bit about. She has researched it. And as I said, you may remember the article that she wrote for the Atlantic magazine back in 2012, Why Women Still Can't Have It All. And as we mentioned, that is morphed into this new book called Unfinished Business. I I invite you to check out that article uh, that was on the Atlantic uh, Magazine website. The number of views it has gotten over the last couple of years are incredible, well into the millions. Thank you very much for coming on. It's my pleasure. Great to have you. It is interesting. I mentioned it before we got you on the line, but this in some respects is, is a little bit of a play off of the article you did for the Atlantic a couple of years ago. Well, it certainly was triggered by the article of The Atlantic, but I say that I couldn't have written this book three years ago because when I wrote The Atlantic article, I really thought very differently than I do now, and the book reflects a lot of very hard thinking and rethinking and a lot of solutions in terms of how we go forward. But what was it that was kind of that first trigger for you to change that thought process? (laughs) Uh, most important was uh, people writing to me, and uh, it, particularly men writing to me, which I never expected. I got a number of men who wrote me and said, you know, you think we have it all, but this is not the balance between care and our jobs that we would have chosen. We are required to be the breadwinners, but actually we would rather have more time with our families. And when we try to work flexibly or work part-time or do anything else that really allows us to be what we call lead parent, we get stigmatized even more than women do. It is interesting because it it is a little bit of a shift uh, that, that we've started to see over the last, you know, five to 10 years, obviously more women in the, in the workforce and, uh, more men deciding that they would like to be, have more time at home with their kids. Absolutely. And I think actually men have always wanted that. I discovered that my father, for instance, had decided in his early forties to slow down at work because otherwise he he just said, I'm never going to know my children. Uh, so I, I think, but millennial men are being very vocal about wanting to be equal parents. You mentioned that you brought the word up a minute ago, but it seems like that it is a very important word in this discussion is flexibility and having that flexibility, both for men and women to, to be able to have both a good work career, but also to be able to have that special time with your family. Absolutely. And there is no reason in principle why, you know, a couple, when they have kids, can't both work flexibly, both work from home a day or two a week, or both work three quarters time. There are any number of ways, or even just come come in late and leave earlier than, than normal business hours. Uh, the problem is that the workplace is yeah. not adapting to the 21st century workforce. And if you take those flexibility policies, you're often stigmatized. So, you know, a guy or a, a woman or a man is faced with, well, I could do this, but then I'm going to be knocked off the bonus track, the promotion track, the leadership track. 
So then is this part of the reason why I, it seems like we're we're seeing the two sides work, uh, the company and the employee, in some respects, butting heads a little bit uh, more often these days? I think so. Uh, although I think the employees uh, ultimately are going to have more say because CEOs continually say that the biggest issue they face is the is attracting and retaining talent. Mm-hmm. And I don't think CEOs see understand that you know, family, making room for care is not a woman's issue. It really is a work issue. And yeah. that unless they accommodate, again, they're losing lots and lots of female talent, but they're also increasingly going to lose male talent. Yeah. We're talking with Amory Slaughter, who is the uh, author of the book Unfinished Business, former dean at uh, Princeton's uh, School of Public and International Affairs, and now uh, president and CEO of New America. You're welcome to jump in and join us in the conversation, especially if you may have an anecdote anecdote about uh, maybe an incident that involved you. You're more than welcome to at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call, or... Send a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. You write in, in the book very fervently about your experience working in Washington, D.C. and working uh, under uh, Secretary Clinton. Uh, and I got the sense that this was pretty much a dream job for you for a while, but then it, in many respects, didn't give you the satisfaction that you really thought you were going to have in the end. Well, I think it's it, I, the job was fabulous. It's yeah. just that the job couldn't be done uh, and allow me to be the parent I wanted to be and needed to be. And there was no way for Secretary Clinton to make it possible. She, you know, yeah. the, the State Department depends on the world. So it, it was a case where, as I say in the book, I hit a tipping point. I had to make a choice. Before that, I'd always managed to avoid making a choice and to make it work with work and family. And I just realized, look, I love this job. I'm thrilled doing this job, but my child needs me, and he's got to come first. It's interesting because I'll throw in a little story of my own. Uh, I worked in professional baseball for 13 years and as a broadcaster and was traveling around and came back from a road trip and went to see my one-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and I had been on the road for uh, for 12 days, and she pulled away from me. Oh, and, yeah. and, and one year later, I was not working in baseball anymore. So, you know, there are these types of stories. I'm sure you've gotten thousands of them over the last couple of years after reading the article. And they're probably similar in one shape or another. I think absolutely. And what you just said is exactly what men wrote to me. You know, no parent wants to not be able to be with their child enough to invest in them and watch them grow and have them recognize you and need yeah. you and love you. I mean, absolutely. That's not a, that's not a gender issue. That's, that's a parent issue or taking care of your own parents. But, you want to be there for them. But do you think because of what you mentioned a little bit ago of this resistance by corporate America uh, to this uh, philosophy a little bit, do you think we can get to a point where both men and women actually can have it all? I do. I really do. I, because, again, it, a lot of it is just changing our thinking. It's, so, for instance, if you imagine that it's not whoever gets to the top fastest who's automatically the best, but that you're, you know, you're hiring talent for the long haul, and some people will just go hard. And, uh, you know, I think I talk about, like, interval training. They just go hard and they make it to the top. But many of the rest of us will have periods where we go really hard and periods where we work differently 
to be able to make room for the people we love, but we're still there. In other words, when your daughter is grown, you're just that much more experienced, uh, or, or when she hits a, a phase where you say, okay, now I can travel again, or I can you know, work uh, really long hours again. Uh, there's no reason we can't do that. And frankly, as people's lives extend and they work longer because it's harder to retire, uh, the workforce needs to adapt. You also refer uh, quite a bit in the book to uh, Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In. Why is it that that, that resonates seemingly so much with you? <laughs> well, partly I'm trying to make very clear that contrary to various media accounts, this was never about uh, you know me versus Sheryl Sandberg. Yeah. That, that a great deal of what she says in Lean In I think is terrific. I applaud the work she's doing. I yeah. think she's shown a lot of bravery. Uh, so partly I'm saying, look, you can uh, absolutely you can lean in. But I am also saying that if you lean in too far without a support system, you'll tip over. And yeah. I'm saying it doesn't go far enough that that in the end, not only for affluent women, which we've been talking about, but for the 40 million American women who are either in poverty or on the brink, we need bigger change than that. In other words, that's what you do within the existing system to make it. You lean in. But I don't. I think the system is broken. Yeah, and is it is it is it one that can be, as you said before, it can be fixed with a change of of thought process, but seemingly that's still going to take a little while to to really get a a, a thought process that's been in place for for you know more than a century to try try and change that. Yeah, although we've got a lot of help. I mean, in fact. Uh, uh, some of the studies you've done at Wharton, uh, that Stu Friedman's done, show yeah. this very dramatic change in attitudes among millennials, uh, including millennial MBAs, <laughs> who yeah. are a pretty hard-charging bunch. But increasingly, the men are saying, you know, I want more to life than work. I expect to make room uh, for family, for other things in my life. Uh, and uh, I'm just not going to define everything in terms of career success. And the millennials are now the biggest generation. Yeah. So uh, I think employers have to have to listen. And I do also make a strong case for, for government action. I mean, there are some areas in which, you know, government just has to make the market. Uh, it has to say, okay, all companies have to provide paid family leave, because if it doesn't, then companies that are trying to do the right thing uh, will undercut companies that aren't. And even though I think it is essential to retaining talent, that's a long-term view, and there will always be short-term uh, short-term managers who will say, you know, I need I need somebody to work around the clock right now. But it, it is interesting. I found it, and getting back to the, the the kind of the dynamic between men and women in this area, that you actually bring up that that maybe something that would be a good thing is to actually have a men's movement where where some <laughs> of this is concerned. Absolutely, I really do think. That, you know, men, and again, this is because men wrote to me, men have been feeling like they are stuck in a role that society imposed on them in the way women did. That's what led to the women's movement was women saying, yes, we love our families, but we want to be in the workplace, too. Men, I think, now need to say, yes, we love our work, but, you know, we want to be completely engaged fathers and sons and spouses, and we don't want to just be the breadwinner. Yeah, and and because getting back to what you said a second ago with millennials is that because they have a different mindset, uh, that they seem to be the generation that has the greatest opportunity to really affect this change going forward. 
I, I think that's exactly right. And one thing very simple that they could do is, you know, that, that every guy who is uh, applying for a job ask about family leave policies. Because yeah. right now, that's a woman's issue. And so when a woman applies, a firm tells her about their family leave issues. Yeah. But that just reinforces the problem that it's the woman's job uh, as opposed to the men's. But if, if millennial men make clear, hey, this is important to me, just as it's important to my mate, uh, that sends a different set of signals to employers. But it does seem like that that may be one of the things, and, and I know this is another issue in some states. It, it was, in, ironically enough, I think in New Jersey as well, uh, is that you have some companies that are out there that have that 50-employee that barrier where they don't have to do the same things as companies that are bigger than 50 employees. And maybe if you're able to get rid of that, that probably eliminates at least part of this issue. Absolutely. Uh, New Jersey has just uh, created paid family leave, six weeks paid family leave for anyone through a payroll tax, right, where they just say, you know, we've got, as I said, we have to level the playing field for all employers. Uh, And this is where government does have to act because... Otherwise, it's it's unfair competition by the, yeah. by companies that are trying to respond to their employees' needs, and but companies that that are just um, are not. So I do think, and a lot of cities are beginning to impose uh, paid family leave as well. Yeah. And again, it's pennies on the dollar for the payroll tax. It really, it's remarkably inexpensive to do. It, it is interesting you use the word competition. That's another word you bring up because being competitive is kind of another reason why we see maybe this resistance. Maybe not the resistance, but it's kind of see this this nature out there in the workplace because of the competitive nature that that the businesses are for the most part. Yeah. And, you know, I'm all for competition. I'm very competitive myself. I think, again, though, it's short-sighted to compete at all costs. That's part of what I I use this image of interval training, that athletes who are the ultimate competitors and who want to be at peak condition, they go hard and then they slow down. And then they go hard and then they slow down. They do not go hard all the time because they burn themselves out and because their muscles are strained. And I think there is an analogy uh, in the corporate world that, yes, for short term, you can burn your people out. You can require people to work 24-7, but you are losing talent. And over the long term, yeah. you are you're having to, to uh, spend more to recruit and, and uh, people and constantly retrain them than you would if you understood that people absolutely can compete and can compete hard, but they also need room for care in their lives. It is interesting because you also uh, write about, uh, I guess, you in some respects, lived that philosophy while you were working at Princeton. You talk about, you know, making making sure that you are out in time to go watch your, your, your kids play sports or, you know, being home for dinner, or, you know, the variety of things that, that are kind of important to the core values of the family these days. Yeah, completely. Uh, I, in, my, in my view, I was always more productive as a result that if I could first place, just refresh my mind. I can't work nonstop. And we know from research, particularly people who do knowledge work or anybody, frankly, you can't, after a while, you become less productive, you're less focused. If you change it up and you go home and you read to your kids or you have dinner or you go to a baseball game, whatever it is, then you go back to work, you're fresher, you're more efficient, you get more done in less period of time. That time, that time period that you were working down in Washington D.C., and now that you look back on it, it obviously was a great experience. But, but 
if you could, would would there be pieces you would change to it? Well, you know, I thought a lot about that, and and my husband and I did talk about moving the whole family to Washington, but yeah. that would have been very bad for them because my our kids were in great schools, a great community. They were completely anchored, uh, and my husband, of course, was working in Princeton. So if we yeah. moved. I'd have uprooted everybody, and I, in the end, I don't think there was anything I could do. I think what I tell younger women and men is, if you're going to take one of these jobs, know that it's going to be very, very intense. Plan for it, and don't plan to do it forever. Uh, and so in the end, I think two years was great. I would have liked to do another two years, uh, say, in 2012, but that's where I, I said, wait a minute, you know, my kids are really at home only for four more years, and I don't want to miss this period of their lives. You mentioned, uh, and we've had uh, Stu Friedman on the show uh, a couple of times, and obviously he does a show on, on the channel, but do you think that maybe that that concept of teaching work-life balance should be something that almost should be a requirement at, at the college level these days? I do, I, I, particularly in business schools and in college. I absolutely, I do. I think one thing we people need to know much more about how children develop and how important it is to give them time, yeah. uh, and uh, but also to, to talk about how you plan your career and think about how the workplace can change and how you can uh, think about acquiring, you know, a set of skills even when you're you're caregiving. And I talk a lot about the skills that care actually. Uh, homes, but I do think, I think if we're going to have this balance, and frankly, if we're going to have equality between men and women, this is an essential piece of the puzzle. Yeah, because caregiving is is not just for uh, little kids anymore. Uh, (laughs) Unfortunately, we've seen, you know, that that caregiving is more and more becoming the relationship between a kid and his parents that may be older older in life. Completely. Uh, It it is... uh, uh, as I said, you can choose whether to have kids, but you can't choose about whether to have parents, uh, and that, at least not yet. <laughs> and I think that's, that's a, a given. Uh, and it is important. The other thing to say is that the relationship between a caregiver and the person you're caring for is very similar in many ways to the relationship between a management manager and a team, yeah. in the sense that what you're trying to do is support somebody and teach somebody and guide somebody uh, but also, you have to step back and let them have a lot of autonomy. And that's true whether you're caring for a toddler or a teenager yeah. or an elder. Uh, and so there's, you know, it's not a one-for-one transformation, and I value caregiving on its own. But yeah. I have certainly found that the experience of giving care has made me a better manager and leader. The book is Unfinished Business by uh, Anne-Marie Slaughter. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. You know, you go go through uh, books like this, and, and you know, I, I, I fold the pages over when I get something really juicy that I want to bring up. And <laughs> I found it interesting towards, you know, towards the latter part of the book about this section you wrote about the new vocabulary that we should have for real equality. And, and the one I wanted to read, which which really jumped out, was when you meet somebody, try not to ask what you do within the first five minutes. Ask him or her what he's interested in, what his hobbies are, what he's passionate about in life, signal by the way you talk that you value more than how people earn an income. And you know what? I think that's that's an incredible kind of piece to put in, especially when we're talking about the business realm that we live in and so many business connection lunches and dinners and meetings that we all seem to go to. 
It's such a, a reflexive American thing to do. We meet somebody, and that's the first thing we do. We say, what do you do? Yeah. And that's because it, it tells us status and uh, kind of prestige, uh, but only connected to the workplace. And when we used to live in smaller towns, we saw people in the round, right? You, you might... Your boss might have been the baseball coach for Little League. Yeah. Uh, you know, somebody you worked with might be a passionate environmentalist. Uh, and, uh, you know, in Europe, they think we're just incredibly boring people. Because yeah. all we do is work and all we do is talk about work. Uh, and, you know, I, I often say, you know, what's the best book you've read lately? Or what's the best movie you've seen? Uh, let, let, and, and I actually think that has all sorts of advantages, uh, just as valuing other human beings, but also making our lives more multidimensional. Well, go into a bit about that that difference in philosophy between what we have here in the United States and what is overseas. You mentioned about Germany being a, 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 a country that really you get 20 days, I guess it is, of, of paid leave no matter what you're doing. Yes. Well, goodness, yes. I mean, Germans, all the European countries have four weeks of uh, vacation yeah. every year uh, rather than two, which, again, I think is just much, much healthier. But it's certainly, let's, let's go for three. <laughs> we got to get one step at a time. But the other thing that Germany does that is so important is they now have two months of use-it-or-lose-it paternity leave. In other hmm. words, that women get six months or, or longer but there's two months that you, the father can't trade it off with the mother. The father either takes it or loses it. And this is really changing the way German men think about it because yeah. they don't want to leave money on the table. But when they take that leave, they bond with their children differently and they become much more competent at home. And I do think part of the reason men you know, are often not the lead parent is their wives seem so much more competent, and they feel yeah. like they can't do it. But that's ridiculous. You know, men, single fathers have raised men, have raised children forever. Men can do this just just as well as women can. They may do it differently, but but they're not doing it worse. Well, then, then let me wrap up by asking you a, a question. We actually did a segment on this show a couple of days ago uh, about uh, the potential move by uh, the District of Columbia to expand leave to 16 weeks uh, after the birth of a child or after the adoption of a child. That move by D.C., how do you view it, and do you think it could be a change in that area for other portions of the country? You know, I, I think it is terrific, uh, and it is absolutely an example for other cities. And it's just right. You know, 16 weeks, male or female, Bringing children into the world is a fabulous moment, but also a difficult one. Men and women together should be involved. Uh, Cincinnati has also just introduced paid leave, and the Labor Department under Labor Secretary Tom Perez is, has a lead-on-leave uh, movement where they're working with cities across the country. And I do think that's a, a very optimistic uh, and, and likely sign. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.